Welcome to your High Vibration Life podcast with Robin Openshaw, also known online as the Green Smoothie Girl. When you're living your high vibration life, you're healthier in every way. You're more productive, creative, peaceful, and loving. Your high vibration life is calling. And now your host, Robin Openshaw. Hey everyone, Robin Openshaw here with Your High Vibration Life and welcome back. I have a fantastic interview for you today. I've invited my friend, Dr. Partha Nandi, MD. He is the creator and host of the nationally and internationally syndicated medical lifestyle television show. You may have seen it. It's called Ask Dr. Nandi. And he's reaching with his TV show, wait for this, 95 million homes every day. He's the chief health editor at WXYZ ABC Detroit. He's a practicing physician, a gastroenterologist, and a renowned international speaker. His appearances include being on TEDx. He does college commencements. He collaborates with the Ministry of Health in Jamaica and India. He's collaborated with the World Health Organization. He's a passionate, inspiring speaker, speaks all over the world, and he travels to international conferences and symposia, and he meets with global health leaders on a quest to improve healthcare quality and access, and he's a big advocate for the patient. And his mission is to empower the world to be your own health hero. So welcome to the show, Dr. Partha Nandi. Hey, thank you, Robin. Thank you for uh, inviting me and giving me the opportunity to talk to you and the people that are listening. Yeah, I've been really excited about this and about getting the inside scoop about your long-awaited by your fans, I'm sure, Ask Dr. Nandi book. And as you and I um, have discussed many times, we have the same publisher, of course, and you publish your book right before me. And so we've been comparing notes (laughs) Um, Our books are releasing at almost the same time. It's going to be a very exciting fall of 2017. So tell me, what was the inspiration behind this, your first book? Ask Dr. Nandi, Five Steps to Becoming Your Own Health Hero for Longevity, Well-Being, and a Joyful Life. Well, Robin, you know, thanks uh, for that that, uh, intro, by the way. It was very kind. You know, the the thing is that just like you, super passionate about Everything I do, and and anybody who listens to you can, can you, you got to ooze passion. And so I, you know, I, I love what I do. I love practicing medicine, love treating my patients, and huge part of my life. But I also do something, you know, that that gives me a lot of satisfaction when I when I actually when I actually do something that I find that that's missing. Because you know, as a physician, I give them prescriptions, I do lots of procedures, but I, I realize that even with that. Uh, there's a lot missing and, and, you know, people like yourselves have really been able to help people, but a lot of people don't know that. And so I want to, wanted to understand, you know, why are people not thriving? Why are they suffering? Even though they're coming to see me, you know, I realized that there was more that they needed. So, you know, my tribe and I, uh, you know, lived a life that really was filled with purpose. And I say my tribe, not just my family, but you know, the friends, the people that really, you know, that, that we, that we share, the same amount of passion. We live with purpose and, you know, made some real choices and they're simple choices. We felt it yielded huge, amazing results. So I thought it was time that, you know, let's do this, let's share the research, let's share the experiences to create, you know, an entire world. You know, it's not, not just your, your, my practice or my city or my state or the country, but a world of health heroes who really understands that, 
that there are small and, and realistic changes that can make your lives better. Not some gigantic thing. A lot of my patients often don't want to do anything because they see like Mount, you know, Mount Everest in front of them. And so they don't want to climb it because like, oh, it's too much. So we want to show them small changes uh, leading to big results. And I wanted to reach beyond my patients and help people to live really great lives, more joyful lives, longer lives, healthier lives. And so with this global change, I, you know, I, I, I wanted to make sure my, my patients understood. And that's why I wrote the book. And I thought it was the right time to, to reach as many people as we could. You know, we have a television show. We do a lot of work on our social media and digital media. But I thought, what a great idea to be able to share this in a book as well, you know, where people can get at least an idea of how to do this as we have done for our communities. You know, I thought when I started on my own health hero journey 25 years ago, I thought I was in it to turn my baby's health around. He was a failure to thrive baby. He had fallen below the fifth percentile for weight. I felt like he was dying. He was in and out of emergency rooms and we changed our diet. We got off of the processed food, the dairy, um, all the sugar, and we got off of all processed meat. And my kid ended up being a six foot three MVP, led his team to state, hit two grand slams, six foot three. And really food was a big part of it. And I thought the journey was about turning my kids health around. And then I thought it was about the impact that I saw rolling out in my whole family. And now, <laughs> you know, talking to a quarter of a million people every week. So when you talk about being a health hero, what does that mean? Is it about I'm turning my health around? Does it mean I'm modeling that to my family? Does it mean that I have more impact in this world in 2017 than people have ever had with others before? Tell me about health hero. You know, I think, I think you, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, your story that you just told is, is the embodiment of a health hero. So basically, you're a mom that said, you know what, I'm not going to let my child not do as well as, as, as he wants to, or he could. So it's, it's, instead of saying, you know, I talk to kids all the time and they give me stories about, I say, so who's your hero? They give me, you know, I like LeBron James or like a sports star, or like Justin Bieber. And I told them, you know, it's time to really make yourself the story of your life, the hero of your life. And especially with your health and wellness, you got to make yourself your own health hero. What that means is, you know, through really conscious choices with food, and also purposeful movement and having having purpose in your life, doing things that really put your mind into it. One of the first things I'm sure that happened to you when you decided to go on this journey with your son was, was you know, to say my in your mind, I'm going to do this. I would have an approach and you had a purpose, a goal. Once you do that, I think you, you start to then narrow your focus and understand what to do, including food, including movement, including mindset. And that's what a health hero does, makes that the number one priority in their life. And it doesn't have to take, it doesn't have to have a tragedy. For me, you know, it took a couple of events in my life, but it doesn't have to be anything that's that's so unbelievably bad or good. It can just be to pay your health forward, meaning that if, even if you're doing well now, you want to be able to do just as well in the future, as well as fight diseases, as well as, you know, if you have diabetes, how do we reverse that? How do we take get off uh, a lot of our medications? And that's what a health hero does. Takes control of his or her health through choices that you can make every single day, just like you did for your family. So you've been a practicing gastroenterologist for over 20 years now. What kind of what kind of patterns are you seeing in today's world? Because that spans quite quite a long time. What are you seeing in terms of illness and disease out there? Yeah, I'm just what I'm seeing is is Robin that there's 
there's really a lot of chronic illnesses and disease. And, and I see people really, even though we have all this technology, right? I mean, we have amazing stuff that we can give people, but they're just not taking care of themselves. Instead of really following sometimes simple advice that, and we talked about this before, it, it seems intuitive. But yet what happens is that people are looking for a shortcut, quick fixes, and not being, being you know, following the same kinds of advice that they know that will really get them there. What happens is that people wind up kind of chasing their tails and treating their symptoms instead of the issues that cause their symptoms, right? So uh, an example I often give is that a diabetic who wants to stop feeling tired but doesn't address what we call the root cause. You know, this person, if they could look at their diet and what they put, and we just talked about processed foods and, and, and the kinds of things that they put in their mouth, they can't understand why even, even if they're putting the wrong stuff in their mouth, they're not getting the right results. The good news is that there are really simple shifts that people can make to change their lives. Not overwhelming, not super monumental. It's really important for me to keep it simple. And when people make the choice to kind of implement these, these small, easy changes, they get huge results. If it's done on a consistent basis, again, I'll say it, there's small changes but they can get big results and help them to get the, to the root cause of their disease and illness. And again, you know, I don't mean to say that you just throw away all your medicines and just go for it because there are certain diseases you need medicine. But how can we minimize that? How can we minimize the side effects? How can we work in concert with your medical doctor and your medical professionals and say, you know what, I, I, I do want to be, live the, the best life that I can, but what can I do that I can that I can change along with the medicines and the procedures to really live the best life and be, be my own health hero. So you talk about five pillars in the book and we'll talk, talk about the first one because it's a little bit, it's a little bit surprising, but I think it's really, really powerful. And you gotta, you gotta start with the beginning. And I think you're right there at the beginning. No, absolutely. You know what, what it comes from, I, I always, I always tell um, my family and my patients that I feel like I've been super blessed and have almost been given an unfair advantage because, um, as you may or may not know, I was, I was actually born in India and I came when I was about nine. But I was old enough to be able to get a lot of the stuff that is in Eastern medicine. So I didn't have to read about or or you know look at shows about people doing Eastern medicine, yoga, Ayurvedic medicine, acupuncture. It was it was all around me when I was a kid. And so, you know, mindfulness and prayer were part of my life. So I really, really understood at a young age, you know, kind of what 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 needs to be done. And what was nice is then I come over to the West and get all of the advantages of Western Western culture and medicine. So uh, when, it, when I put this together, I said, you know, the first thing that has to happen is you have to have purpose, meaning that you have to develop something that gets you up every day and not just gets you up and you drag out of bed and say, oh, it's another day, I can't believe it, but rather jump out of bed. And so for me, it's to be able to empower people to really live the life that they can, meaning that, you know, I tell my kids, if you can change one life for the better, if you can make an impact on one life, right, your life is worthwhile. And so that's what motivates me is that if I can make, like you talked about, you know, you're reaching a quarter million people every week and I'm reaching with the television show, 95 million people every day and I'm trying to empower them to really change their habits so they can not only just live a longer life but a better life. The first thing that has to have is purpose. You have to really understand why you're doing what you're doing because until that happens, if you didn't have the motivation of your child um, you know, that is not thriving, 
it wouldn't have been nearly as powerful for you to make those changes to, to change your diet, change his diet. And so I think purpose is the first step. It's not always easy, but you have to really do some soul searching. If your purpose is to be the best high school teacher, if it's to be the best softball player, whatever it is, you, you get that purpose and then everything follows, you know? It's, it's you know, you don't have to, I don't have to ever tell my teenage daughter to check her phone. Ever, ever, <laughs> ever, ever, right? Because she's got purpose. She wants to know what's in that sucker, right? And of course, we limit it. But you know, what I'm trying to make an example is that when you have purpose in your mind, when you have that become subconscious, you know what to do. And that's what, that's the first step. It's not easy. It's one of the most difficult things I've had to do is to find what is it that I want? It's not the big house. It's not the big cars. It's not the, you know, the vacations, et cetera. It's really about how can I impact the my patients my community the planet man that juices me up and so that gets gets me going and that's the first step of of becoming your own healthier my first pillar yeah i love that you have so much passion and purpose because that is that is where it starts and i have always felt that my son almost dying being in and out of er's and on five courses of steroids in a in his first year of life and all those things that i was desperate to get him out of i wanted him out of standard of care medicine every week and you know life threatening you know, crises all the time. It was so motivating. It gave me such great purpose in the beginning. I'm glad I'm not, you know, out running a dragon like I was back then. But I have come to believe that that was one of the greatest blessings of my life. Because once I got him off of dairy and sugar, and we never had another steroid again, we never had another antibiotic. I mean, I just not have another antibiotic for my oldest son. I've never given any of my four children antibiotics since then, because I was so amped when we turned a corner and he started thriving again and he went from below the fifth percentile to the 50th percentile in six months. I was like, there is no stopping me. There is no, just get out of my way. I'm going to learn everything I can and I'm going to teach it to as many people as I can. So um, I, I love the five pillars. I love that you're about giving people not just health, but vitality and joy is something that you talk about. Like why, why stop at health? Because health leads to high vibrations, which is what we are all about on this show. And I know that you're not just a clinician. I know that you're not just treating patients. You're a deep researcher. So tell me about the research that you've done and that journey and how it has led to these five pillars that you want to educate the world about. And, and, and so what, what happens is that, you know, first, what you do is just like with you, you, you find out that the stuff that you're doing is really effective and not just effective, it's life changing. So then you say, okay, what is it that that's that's really happening? And that yields that 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 yields, but actually leads you to be able to say, okay, I want to go to the next step, right? It's when you get those kind of life altering changes. For me, I too, you know, you talked about your son and 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 all the devastating things were happening to him. You said, I got to do something. For me, you know, I, two things happened. I almost died when I was was six years old. I had rheumatic fever, which is for some people who may know, it's a life threatening illness. I was you know, I went to so many doctors and they couldn't figure out what was going on. And finally, I went to um, a pediatrician who really literally saved my life. And I was, it was Christmas Eve and I go to this pediatrician. I'm expecting them to just say some, you know, sell me something and, and then me not getting better. I was just expecting that because I'd gone to a half dozen, not only, not only traditional medicine doctors, I'd gone to alternative medicine doctors. I mean, I was covered in garlic for a day because somebody thought that would help me. I went through everything as a six-year-old boy. Then we went to this pediatrician, uh, and and he said, you know, you got to go to the hospital today. And I said, wait a minute, it's Christmas Eve. 
And he said, yeah, you got to go today. So I was expecting it to be a normal, normal day. And I actually end up in the hospital that day for, for 10 days. And then I'm on bed rest because I, I, had, I had an illness that affected my heart. I couldn't even get out of bed. Needless to say, you know, thank goodness for that person, that physician that, to me, the health hero really led me. I, I came to where I was. And, and then, you know, using all that experience and all that I learned from him and my family and my parents, then I learned, okay, this is what I can do. And then when I saw the changes, I said, okay, what can we do? So many people really feel like their fate has been already sealed. I mean, if you, if there was another mother, it wasn't Robin Openshaw, it was that have that that child that was not thriving, they wouldn't do what you did, right? They would say, okay, this is my fate, and I have a certain outcome, and they think, okay, my this is what's going to happen to me, but and you just and they just lay back. This kind of thinking, as you know, can paralyze someone's will to kind of live a healthier life. Now, genetics play a huge role in what we do, no doubt about it. But your environment, how you move, how you act, and what you put in your in your body, and I'll also say what you put in your soul is critical. So the the evidence that's out there shows, listen, you know how your body acts, it can be based on your experiences, and we now know there's epigenetics and how your genes are expressed really makes a big difference. I mean, just think about that. You're not just the product of your genes. You can actually have control of the expression of the DNA. And that's what I found. And that's what I talk about in this book. You have the, really, the power to do more and shape a better outcome for yourself. And you're living proof of that. But you're a kid who was not expected to do anything. Six foot three, I mean, hitting home runs and, and MVP. Uh, you know, that's what it's all about. You embody that. That's what the research is showing now, that you don't always just are going to be whatever you're supposed to, quote unquote. I mean, that kind of thinking is going out the, the, the window. And that's what I'm excited about sharing. You know, you mentioned epigenetics, and I want to go a little deeper with that. I had someone contact me a year or two ago, uh, someone I know, and said, you know, she was going through the three surgery process that is now the the standard of care is mastectomy. And she's BRCA1 positive and had a mother who died of ovarian cancer and a sister who had ovarian cancer and half the women in the family are BRCA1 positive. And, and she she didn't ask me, so is there anything I can do? My DNA is dictating this to me. And, and she was a stage 2C ovarian cancer patient when she caught it. They only caught it that early because of her sister and mom. But she basically, she didn't ask me what I thought. She just said, nothing I could do. I, I could do any of your nutrition stuff. Doesn't matter because I'm BRCA1. And so she never expressed any interest in what what I do or my own research. But can you speak to that? Like, you know, I, I wanted to say, had she asked me, I would have said, well, you know, your risk of breast cancer is only 65%. I mean, that's bad. But, you know, not everybody who's BRCA1 is going to get breast cancer, even if they live to be 105. So talk, talk to me about epigenetics. And are we limited by our DNA? Does it do, does our, how much does our DNA really dictate? What does your research say about that? Well, I, here's here's what I, I the the comparison is a great question. The comparison I would give you is that, you know, let's say you have a house that's I'll give a number maybe 1,500 square feet, and so what you can't do with that house normally is to now make it into a 5,000 square foot house, right? However, what you do with that house, what what you do with that house that you're given to make it amazing, is really up to you. To me, that's what genetics and epigenetics is, is, is about. So you can, you have the genetic predisposition or increased risk for cancer, clearly. So this person that's talking to you, 
Absolutely, they need to be proactive. Absolutely, they need to make some decisions about how to prevent it. But what, what I would say to them is that you're not handcuffed by just your genes. Of course, your genes are going to play a huge role, but what you do with your mindset is clearly important. So what I mean by that is the big the big word called stress. When you produce increasing cortisol, increasing ACTH, then what you're doing is all of your body's defense mechanisms, right? How is cancer actually created? When you have these rogue cells based on whatever, either your genetics, your environment, or a combination of both that, that are going there, guess what's supposed to get rid of those, right? Your immune system. And when you are, your body experiences stress and your body is producing these, these, these counterproductive hormones and products, your body's not going to be in shape to be able to, to fight off these, these cancers. So from the very first step, even though your genetics may play a role in what you're doing, you need to do everything in your power to change that paradigm. And one step further, now we know that even though your genetics are a certain type, that what's, what, what products are expressed, remember when it goes down from your DNA, what proteins are expressed, what products come out are not predetermined. We now know that your environment that you live in, that includes what you eat, what your mindset is, how calm you are. I mean, doing doing exercise like mindfulness can 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 actually affect you and help you. Meditating, praying can actually help you. To what you do with your tribe can affect you. They now can see spirituality, and this is going much deeper than what we're talking about. But spirituality can actually affect the expression of your genes. Now, can they prove it in the kind of studies where you know you're you have double blinded, they're you know, randomized controlled? No, but they're showing more and more proof that's showing that there are factors beyond just your DNA that that shows what's being expressed. So that to back to your example, absolutely they should be proactive. And if they think that doing, you know, the the surgery and the treatment that they need, let them do it. But in addition, you know what, you can Train your mind, train your body, train your intestinal system, which is one of the most powerful predictors of your health, right? The gut-brain axis, the gut-immune axis is tremendous. There's more, there are more immune cells in your gut than probably any other part of your body. I mean, you know, and this, the neurological system of your gut is more complex than your brain. So again, what you put in your body, how you think, what your purpose is. I had a guy who's beat seven different cancers. In, his, in the time that I've treated him. And that's only been about 12 years. And he tells me, and I tell you know, how did you do this? I told him, and I write about it in my book. I said, how did you do this? The first thing he said was my mindset. I said, it's me against you, buddy. Me against the cancer. And I'm going to win every single time. And people say, well, it's not as simple as that. Of course it isn't, but that's the first step. So epigenetics tells you that, you know, what you can do with your environment. And that doesn't mean just not smoking. That doesn't mean just being in an environment that doesn't have pollution, but rather what you put in your mouth, like you talked about, getting rid of the processed foods out the window, you know, if you and 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 taking out dairy, if you if that's something that that is that is effective for you, it's not always for everybody, but for many many people it is. You do those things, and that can affect the expression of your genes. And it's never been a more exciting time. I mean, I'm just super juiced because this is going to change. The, the entire planet when we go deeper into the subject and people actually put real money into research and find out how you can make those changes. Mm. You know, you have such a unique background, very, very different than the other MDs I know because you started in all that great Ayurvedic Eastern stuff 
And so you're basically the real life collision of East meets West. You're this American doctor, but you're really, you're Indian. So you, I know you spent your childhood in Calcutta and then you moved to the U S you went to Ohio state. Um, you were an all American homecoming King. You're a Rhodes scholar candidate. What, what's that like? And what did you learn in from both Eastern and Western cultures? What's that, what's that blend look like? How does it show up in your medical practice? Well, I mean, I, I just feel like I'm super blessed. I feel like the guy who goes to the, um, the company bowling, you know, outing and I'm like the PBA like guy, you know, comes through. I just feel like I've just been blessed by giving, by getting advantages. And what I mean by that is number one, my parents, their unbelievable, unwavering support helped me to really understand who I am. Because what can happen when you have these varied backgrounds, as you know, you can get lost because you don't really know who you are because Robin, really, I had two lives in the beginning. You know, I had this whole Eastern kind of background that that lived in my house and then walked out of the house and I became this American kid and an American young adult. And so what was nice is I had that that great fundamental background of Eastern medicine and Eastern cultures and all the practices, but I had to really adjust to the West. And so they, my parents really helped me to fundamentals. They understood the importance of of prayer, meditation, all the stuff that we talked about. And so what when they instilled that pride in me, my mom, my dad, especially my mom talked to me all the time about it, they gave me that pride to understand where I came from, but really have the flexibility to learn where I'm at, right? So, and then what I've done is really incorporate that into my practice. So for example, a woman with irritable bowel syndrome comes and tells me, you know, you, you know I just, I need a little bit of Xanax doctor, you know, they, they, she comes in and sits down. She doesn't tell you what her problem is. She tells me her chief complaint when we talk about medicine is that I need a Xanax, right? And I, and I tell her, I said, okay, talk to me about what's going on. And then when she tells me, I said, you know, have you ever thought about just even five minutes a day? Just give me five minutes of meditation. And, and, and she said, no. And that person over the course of the year is off of every medicine that she was on wow. just because she's been able to control her life. And this is real life. Every day, patients that come in come into my office, and I've been able to give them the, the things I write about in my book. Is that how can you then take these these beautiful pearls of Eastern medicine, as well as the amazing knowledge uh, of the West, and then you know make it make it come together? So I, I you know I I again would be really blessed with a great background. My mom, when I come here, you know I, I was born Hindu, and you know they don't we don't eat meat. And my mom, the first thing she said was, we stepped in this country, she said, eat a hamburger. And at that time, I said, you know, I didn't know what that meant. I was like, I don't want to eat this. But it was so symbolic. And why that's important is that it's being open. She taught me how to be open and understanding. I don't find a lot of colleagues who are open. I'm talking about MDs that are open because we're kind of just stuck in our box of, you know, what we know about. And so my mom loved the Indian culture, but she also knew that the, the American and the Western culture was important. She gave me that those the skill set to be able to do what I do now, which is take the 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 best of both worlds and and put them in a marriage. That that marriage is you know kind of be, to be the metaphor that we have. But in real life, I'm married to a, a woman who grew up in in the West, and we have really built a great life. And she she's a huge huge part of who I am. My wife Kelly has also really shaped me in our marriage to be who I am, be able to understand people in ways I've never been able to understand it, understand them. And so I can, I can treat my patients, our community, 
um, and even the planet better because of those relationships, my parents, my children, and my wife. So uh, that that's what it's been. It's been an amazing journey, and I just can't, I cannot wait for the future, but I love the present every single day. Well, let's back up two seconds. I love that you brought up food because we've both been talking about how foundational nutrition is, and I know your book has a nutrition plan and you've got a lot of great recipes and that you're strongly against dieting, which I love because I think that diets are so industry driven. And we're actually making a documentary about that in 2018 because my research and sort of like 25 years of watching this shows that virtually all the diets that currently millions of Americans are on, ketogenic is trending, paleo's on its way out. You know, they're just driven by profit industries and they have little or nothing to do with what's actually good for you. So I'm excited to hear your take too, because you're bold in taking a stand that diets aren't going to save your health. So, and I'm probably going to ask you to be in my documentary, FYI. How about that for putting you on the spot? But Tell me what oh, what do you think uh, attracts so many people to these fads and trendy diets? You know, first of all, everything that you that you said was absolutely true, I, and I love to be part of your documentary. I think that what people are looking for is the fast, the, not the fast food, but the drive through through life. I mean, every single part of people's lives, they just want the drive through. They just do not want to take the time to just do what's needed. So, what I've noticed is that you know it's one trend after another from the last, you know as long as we can we can remember the last 30, 40, 50 years. And, and the, the key feature is that often, uh, listen, just to be honest, you know, these diets are meant for people to get on a diet and then probably buy a bunch of stuff and then go to the next step and the next step. It's forever for you to be on this stupid wheel where you're losing and gaining weight so that you can sustain an industry and, and it's product-driven. You know, I'm not against people trying to, to, to coach folks and make them healthier. But I think that the word diet, to me, I call myself the undiet doctor because I think diet should be renamed in the dictionary as a synonym for failure. Because the moment <laughs> you give somebody the word freaking, you tell them it's a diet, what happens to your mind? You know that that means deprivation. I am going to be miserable. That's what I've been trained. Something's going to happen that I'm going to, I have to avoid something. I have to do something I don't like. Well, we talked about in the beginning that if you want to succeed in anything, you have to have the mindset. You have to have a purpose. And that purpose can't just be I'm going to get into a dress or whatever, you know, my my shirt has to be, you know, so great in my physique because that only gets you to a certain level and then it fades because once that is done, then what keeps you going? So the word diet to me, these fads come in because people just want a quick fix but but it's not accidental. We're be, we be, we we are being trained every single day to to think that way, to understand that way. Because you know, it's why why make it hard? Why why even spend any energy or time doing anything? You could have it today, or you know, in five days you can lose this much weight. So what I say to people, you have to do something that you enjoy. There's no there's no absolute one way to be able to do this. Meaning that you can do it many ways. I, and I to me, a couple of things are. You know, number one, do as well as you can eating a plant-based diet. And that doesn't mean you never have a burger. I mean, I, I enjoy a burger every once in a while. It's okay if you don't, but I do. I mean, and, and, and you don't have to always be on your best behavior. So what I say is if you can just give me an 80-20 commitment. So they say, what does that mean? I said, 80% of the time, you 
absolutely do what we what we think we should and the, what, what I'll teach you in this book. But 20% of the time, you can, you know, kind of enjoy yourself. You know, you kids, you got to go to the birthday party. You can't say, well, do you have a gluten-free cake there? Can I just bother you guys? Because I can't have anything that you have. And like, you know, people are like, oh, my gosh, we'll never invite this guy ever again. So, Or you go to a work party. You know, there's never anything good. I'm not saying go insane all the time, but leave 20% so you can kind of just you know, be yourself and do whatever you want to. But if you can give it 80%, you can almost always reach the goals you want to. The second rule is the anti-buffet rule, right? So in the United States and probably everywhere else is a buffet, you know, when you get into this damn buffet, what happens is that so it's a war, right? You go in there and it's me against the buffet. And I am going to win. Right. So you think that <laughs> that's the whole mentality. But really what happens, you may win that little Chinese buffet war. I mean, battle, but you lose the war. So I tell people eat until you're two thirds full. Right. I mean, the Okinawans have taught us that. And all the evidence shows that if you can if you can eat before you're completely full, you know, and I say about two thirds full, you will be able to reach a lot of your nutritional goals. And we give recipes and how you can do this pretty easily where you can get really whole foods and not foods that are full of crap and empty calories. And and that's where really you have to go. But the key is you have to get there with your mindset. You gotta like it. Because if you don't like it, it's not gonna work. I mean I'm I'm I, I'm I don't believe in this, you know, sticking in this thing that you're miserable and that's gonna work. It just doesn't work. So and the rest of your body suffers. I mean, you may look great, but your soul looks like crap. And if your soul looks like crap, guess what? It doesn't really matter how you look because it's transient. So that's kind of my, 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 my real, um, you know, outlook. And it's, and, and then I, in the book, I talk about evidence that really backs that up and how you can really achieve your goals fairly simply as long as it's consistent. Well, I love the anti-buffet rule, and I'm pretty sure I'll be using that, but I'll always quote you. Don't worry. I'll always give you credit. That's <laughs> you so- can use it. You can use whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think I've lost the war against the buffet so many times, and we always tell ourselves, well, I'll just eat this, and then you leave, and you're just like, yeah, that didn't happen. So um, <laughs> buffets are just deadly, and buffets are just so dang American, right? Like, it's just, uh, you know, we just have to have, it has to, everything has to be so unlimited. So, um, and, you know, you mentioned being raised Hindu, which means you're a vegetarian. And I wonder what you think about, I get, I get asked all the time because it's fairly well known to my community, at least that I eat a plant-based diet. And by that, I don't mean vegetarian because there's, there's an occasion, but it might be, I might go a month. I might go a month eating no animals. I prefer not to eat animals, eating animals. I've done it so little the last 25 years that it's um, not super appealing to me. Barbecues don't smell good to me. Um, And people are constantly asking me, well, where do you get your protein? And that's just kind of a question that I've probably answered hundreds of times. And one of the things I always say is, well, you know, there's millions of Hindus, you know, that there's people all over Costa Rica and Okinawa and uh, parts of a uh, lots, lots of parts of Africa. And a lot of the reasons that they're vegetarian or they are plant-based at least is just that they're poor. And so can you, can you live a whole life without eating animals? Where do they get their protein? Absolutely. You know, and, and your, and your question about being Hindu for, for many, many years, I, I call myself a selectarian, right? So what we do is we eat very little, if, if almost zero red meat. The only time I eat red meat is when I go to Callie's parents, my in-laws, and they love they love them a little barbecue, you know? So anybody's birthday, man, we're, you know, we get 
we get a little fillet and we eat it. So I eat it. It's all right. I eat a fillet every so often. Whenever I go there, probably maybe three times a year, four times a year. And the rest of the time, fish, fish and chicken, probably, eat, you know, maybe, I don't know, three, four times a week. And twi- twice a week, twice a week, we are completely vegetarian. We're not vegan, we're completely vegetarian. And we just have uh, completely plant-based foods. And, and often, as we, as we are, you know, pursuing our, our lives, my wife and I actually... And those are our most favorite days because we actually enjoy that food even more. And less and less are we, you know, um, you know, we, we talk about eating meat. And so my son, by the way, my five-year-old, he eats what's called dal and rice. Dal's basically, you know, another word for lentils, which in Indian Indians, it's a staple food called D-A-L, dal, but it's lentils. And his favorite other food is broccoli. So uh, with, with with those, with just that, he gets enough protein, you know, for a little boy that can sustain himself. And we've now, um, you know, taken him. He doesn't he doesn't um, eat as much rice. He loved rice, but now we we've converted him slowly into eating quinoa. So another source of protein, another source of you know whole food that we can we can enjoy. And what we do also is this. Robin is that you know I, I believe in looking at your food so you know what the heck's in it right because we, we are in such a, an age of convenience we, we throw everything out the window you know we'll spend umpteenth amount of time like I love these people people who research for example the card that they'll buy they'll know every component they'll know like oh yeah you know 3.2 liter 15 valve I have no idea whatever it is they have no idea what the heck they're putting in their mouth zero idea because they assume that everything's the same. So what we take is a, a reverse approach. I have no idea what my car is, but we know exactly what we're eating. You know, we cook almost every day without exception. And so we we train, you know, our kids in a way that it's it's basically, you know, painless. They don't have to think they're being deprived of the protein, that they don't feel like they have to have a steak or they have to have, you know, meat all the time to have protein. They can have many sources of plant-based protein and, and they have it every single day. The other thing is that I think is a little caveat to this. Again, it's mindset. We almost 100% of the time eat as a family so we can instill some of these beliefs. This stuff doesn't just happen by accident. My mom, my dad sat down with me and showed me how to eat, you know, and they showed me what to do. And now I'm doing the same thing. And I think it's really important for people to understand. You can't expect your kids to eat that well if you don't. Like you're a great role model for them, you know, Robin. And somebody, I'm sure your kids eat very well. But you have to teach them. This is what it is. My daughter and I go grocery shopping, and she learns which of the foods have vitamins, what they do, et cetera. So I think that's how I've been able to do it. You know, even though I've I've been raised Hindu now, you know, we have a a, a room in our on our house uh, that basically acknowledges every faith and every religion. So even though I've been raised Hindu and Kali was raised Christian, we have you know of the Buddha, we have Islam, we have Christianity, we have Judaism, every single religion, because we want people to have faith. But why that ties into food is because then you're not limited by the fact that the religion dictates what you eat, but rather you understand that all faiths have some commonalities and you eat to nourish your body and your soul. And that's what the that's the mantra we give. It's nourishing food, not just stuff that fills you up so you can blow it away. Yeah. Good, good, good advice. And I, I wanted to know what you and Callie eat and how you've 
how you've managed that. And, and that makes me laugh that you go to the in-laws and, and have some red meat. I, when I'm out with somebody and they have red meat, I take a bite of somebody's red meat about every other year, just to, and I always say, I'm just hedging my bets just in case I need some B12 from that source. <laughs> so, uh, it's just, it's so foreign to my mouth anymore. And I usually end up spitting it out in a napkin, but you know, just like I said, hedging my bets. So I have one more question for you, Partha. And that is, okay. um, you know, when I was on lecture tour for six years, spoke in 450 cities, people stand in line and I felt, I felt this vibration from so many people that they just felt like they're listening to my lecture and they said, I'm just too far gone. I'm too sick. They don't, they just didn't see themselves getting healthy. And I, I just have noticed that there are so many people in our culture because of our habits and, and you know, the way we eat and eating out of the drive through and so many other aspects to American culture that are that really need turning around. They've just been sick and overweight for so long that they don't even remember what healthy and light feels like. And I'd love for you to give someone who's in this boat, somebody who's really struggling, you know, I'd say what most of Americans now have some kind of autoimmune disease, give them some encouragement. What's one thing you would say to someone who's in pain, who's struggling, who's feeling hopeless? And where to start? Well, and what, what I tell them, the first thing is that, and I really sit down and talk to them one-on-one. I say, you know what? There's absolutely hope. There's absolutely hope. And I tell them that I've seen people in their position really take a step at a time and, and, and really achieve all their goals and thrive. Not just, not just get better, but thrive. And you know, a lot of people go to see doctors. And, and, and what happens is that I, one of my directors in my television show, he said, you know, Dr. Nandy, you know what's my favorite part? When I get most comfortable, when I see a doctor, I said, uh, what is it? He goes, when I'm driving away from the office, I'm like, great. You know, because what happens is that we have a system of medicine set up where people are just feel disappointed when they leave us. You know, we, the whole system is just uncomfortable and it gives them a sense that there's really not any hope. And, you know, we give, we give such complicated health plans and and people don't even know where to start. Like I talked about, they don't feel like they're Mount Everest in front of them. So what I what I tell them is that, you know, I want you to get rid of these unrealistic plans. The key to me is implementing small changes. You know, so set your goals so that you can make small little increments. If you can get your pain scale, if you're in pain, you know, from a nine to an eight this week, let's go there. Let's do it. And we'll do it together. And you start there. I always say, give me five minutes of whatever it is that I think they need you know, at that time, give me just five minutes of your day, right? I mean, you, you look at your phone at least that much time. You watch TV at least that much time. Turn those off and give me five minutes. And then, you know, let's move forward. Whether it's purposeful, purposeful movement, whether it's meditation, whether it's eating in a way that I think really will help you, let's do that. And let's, let's watch the numbers, right? So if you're a diabetic, easy, you can watch numbers. If you're hypertensive, you can watch numbers. If you're in pain, you can give you a numeric scale. I really believe you can watch your numbers and your outcome. It makes such a huge difference. You knew that your son was what percentile, and you could see, man, now he's in the 50th percentile, now he's in the 95th percentile. Yeah, buddy, I'm not gonna stop. And that's what I give them. I give them you know, incremental changes, but, but give them hope showing that their numbers are changing. And then once that happens, the motivation kicks in, just like it did with you, Rob. You said, heck yes, I'm going to do this. I'm not going to stop until I reach the top. And that's what typically happens, you know. And 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 once it kicks in, your mind is strong enough, you can really, you can really move mountains. It's amazing 
what can happen when you just make small changes. And not everything is the same for everybody. I have to custom make it, right? If I have a patient with, for example, liver disease and, and they're weak and tired and, 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 and amazingly bloated, that's a totally different, different uh, approach than someone who has, for example, acid reflux and, and you know, they, they feel every day that they can't figure out what to eat. So it, it's, it's, it's not one size fits all, but it's, again, the same approach. Small changes, huge results done in a consistent way. You talk to anybody in any field, whether it be health or otherwise, you know, you talk to Tony Robbins, right? I mean, one of the most successful motivators of all time. And he'll tell you about these small changes that seem pretty intuitive, but if you do it on a regular basis and do it consistently, you can make you can make tremendous changes. That's why I tell my patients, don't ever give up hope because you just you just have to chip away at it. And then eventually, you know what? You can break out of that prison. You just, every day, you know, get that little nail file, make a little hole, and boom, you're going to bust through. And when you bust through, man, you are going to thrive. And that's what I tell them. And I just want to tell them from conjecture, but research proven, so we talk about in the book, it's research proven, and it's what I've done, seen with my patients again and again. That's so perfect for our show, because we talk about how energy is always in motion. We're not ever sitting still energetically. We're, we, there's momentum to upward movement in your energies and there's, there's, there's backsliding. And so that was so inspiring. I'm really, really proud to tell our audience about your brand new book, Ask Dr. Nandy, five steps to becoming your own health hero for longevity, well-being, and a joyful life. So tell us where they can get it and where they can find more from you. Absolutely. So they can, they can go to our website and, and actually go to askdrnandy.com forward slash book. You can get it from Amazon as well, and it's going to be a you know book published by Simon and Schuster. And I'd love for all of you to to really take part in and and look at some of the solutions we give, and and change and see how you can change your lives. Every single person that reads this book, I believe, will 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 change your life for the better. So again, it's askdocnetty.com uh, forward slash book, and or you can go to Amazon and and get the book there as well. We will put that in the show notes as well. AskDrNandy.com slash book. And Partha, it's been such a delight to have you. You're such an inspiration. Thanks for being a health hero to me and so many other people. I feel the same, Robert. It's been such an honor and pleasure to be on your podcast. Thank you so much for having me. 